responded um, to whatever the Chamberlain said. Uh, she said, no, you know what, I require nothing except for whatever you will tell me. And that's kind of a, I don't know if anyone else is that gutsy to be able to trust your life completely to somebody else, put your life completely in somebody else's hands. But that's been something that's always frightened me about Christianity as a growing up. And I remember just sitting there in the little Sunday school or we used to do, um, when I was real little, my mom on Bible study nights like this and my dad be teaching Bible study, my mom would take the kids in the back room and she'd have these little flip charts of these little stories of these kids who were dedicated to the Lord. And I'll just never forget the one story. I just always remember it. And they're, they're just swinging this, this rope with a, with a stone on it, trying to get this kid to deny the Lord Jesus just swinging it closer and closer to his head, and he wouldn't deny the Lord Jesus. And it finally hit, and there was blood, and that was scary to me. And I thought, I'm denying the Lord Jesus, and then I'm just going to ask God to forgive me later because <laughs> I don't want to be hit by that rock. <laughs> and so I was always just, you know, I just you hear these stories of these people who just give it all, just completely give their life to the Lord Jesus. People at the stake, they're worshiping, being burned at the stake, and they're worshiping God as they're being burned at the stake. And, you know, Michael Servetus, you know, um, here's Calvin screaming in his face because he denied the doctrine of the Trinity to try to get him to denounce his beliefs, and he wouldn't have to burn. And, Michael Servetus was not going to call Jesus Christ a separate person. He just wasn't going to do it. And so um, the terminology, he, you know, he was insistent on continuing with that terminology. And I remember years ago thinking, if that was me, <laughs> you know, I'm giving up. <laughs> you know? I heard some comedian, and I can totally relate to him, you know. This guy was saying if he was captured on enemy lines, and he'd say, hey, this is your lucky day because <laughs> I'm just going to tell you everything. <laughs> you don't have to do anything. <laughs> you don't have to torture me at all. That's probably how, you know, I would have been. And then, um, so to be able to completely trust our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, ideally, whatever he says, sometimes when it doesn't make sense, Somebody in the church called me last night who's not here, but if you're watching, you know who you are. <laughs> and they said, um, is God punishing me? Why this? Why that? You know, sit, you know, we go through situations. We think that we're trying to make the right decision to live for God, and then things don't always go so good. And so... Um, Anyways, so here was Esther. She was in that situation, and she said, you know, I, whatever, whatever you recommend, whatever you think, I don't know what the right way to say his name is, Haggai or Hagee or whatever, whatever you think is the best thing that I should wear, you know, and um, that's what <clears throat> she did. And she came into 
the presence of the king. And maybe the king looked over at Haggai. Maybe he just said, did you dress this one? <laughs> because Haggai knew exactly what the king liked. He knew exactly. And so there was something about that. And so the book of Esther, my wife asked me last week, is, so is Esther, do you like Esther more than the book of Ruth? Because I said, well, it's just one of my favorite parts of this lesson. I mean, of course, I like the book of Ruth as well. There's so many great lessons in the book of Ruth. But um, my mother-in-law's middle name is Esther. She was Beatrice, Esther, Anaya, then Martinez. And so, um, so Esther. And then later on, you guys remember the story, what happened with Esther. And um, Haman was very, he wanted to kill all the Jews. And so what happened? He went to kill all the Jews. He wanted to kill all the Jews, but that didn't really work out. They, they went on a fast, and Esther came before the king, and she had gained favor in his eye. And you, you guys remember the story. And, and there, then towards the end, um, there was a great deliverance. Haman ended up dying. His sons, they tried to, they were going to hang Mordecai because, you know, Mordecai would not bow when Haman came by. He just wouldn't do it. And so, um, because of that, Haman was angry, but uh, uh, so he ended up getting the position. But later on, the Jews started celebrating a feast. Does anyone know what it's called? There was a feast, and they celebrate it to this day in Israel. Feast of Purim. The Feast of Purim, they celebrate every single year. And one time we sat with my children, we watched a documentary on the Feast of Purim, and the, it's very similar to what our Halloween is like. People dress up, and, um, but it's, uh, they'll be dressing up like Haman or Esther or, you know, Mordecai and things like that. And so it's an interesting time of year, and they're, they're celebrating that deliverance that the, Israel, the children of Israel had. And so um, that's the book of Esther. So we talked about that last week. The wisdom that Esther had by submitting herself, humbling herself, and just saying to the chamberlain, you know, you know. I mean, you've been around the king. You understand what he likes, especially, you know, he was in charge of the, the women. And so, um, so that's where we kind of left off, if you remember, Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So there are people, there's somebody who's watching for your soul, right? Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Submit yourselves. And Sister Rita did a great job on teaching on submission. 2 Corinthians 11, 2, and we read this last week, um, where Paul writes, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So that's what he was saying. And so who is 
the one that should set the standards for the church. We've all heard about standards, right? Um, some churches, uh, I think most people have standards, but everyone seems to draw that line in a different place. And so um, one time I was thinking about it, I was thinking, I don't really know. I can't think of any standard that I've just kind of made up on my own. Most of the standards that I have, that I've learned from my elders, others who have set standards before me, and, you know, we're just part of a consensus. We're part of a group of apostolic, you know, uh, ministers, and we just kind of go, there's a consensus, these ministers, and we've just, I think the only thing I ever um, made a rule on that was different than what I ever heard was um, when I was a youth leader and I told the youth to stop using the word nasty. <laughs> so anyways, that's the only thing I could remember because the context they were using it in wasn't very nice. So uh, anyways, so standards of righteousness, not standards of holiness. We've often heard standards of holiness, right, versus standards of righteousness, so Isaiah 29, 13 says, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. It's taught by the precept of men. So they have a fear of God, but it's a fear of God that was taught by the precept of men. And then Matthew 15, 8 says, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So... Um, I've thought about this a lot, you know, I thought about, you know, all these different, um, I think some people want to know what the rules are, right? Some people come and say, what's the rules? What's the rules? And um, somebody asked me, how come, uh, how come you think that the, the guy should ask the pastor of the church before he dates a girl in that church? And I said, well, I never set a rule that said that. Um, for the church, I've never set a rule. This is a, just a recommendation I, I have been talking to my children about for a number of years, and I have reasons for that. Um, but I have not set that rule. So I, I'm not just sitting here just writing all these rules like, you know. So there's these standards. There's these. But if you're, there's anyone who could set the rules, who should be the one that sets the rules? So maybe there should be some rules that are set, but they're in accordance with God's word, God's law. There's probably some things we shouldn't be doing. There's probably some things we shouldn't be reading or looking at or listening to. And so, um, and maybe some people say, uh, well, where does it say that in the Bible? Maybe it doesn't, but maybe it violates a certain principle in Scripture. And so maybe it's not a good idea to do some things. Mark chapter 7, verse 6 says, He answered and said unto them, Well hath he sayes prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. 
So there's a lot of people that do that, right? They honor God with their lips, but really their heart is far from him. And so we probably can relate to that. We probably feel like we've probably been there in our life. The particular rules governing the distinctive lifestyle and appearance of God's people have often been called the standards of holiness. So holiness is something generated and maintained only by God. So holiness is generated and maintained only by God. A human being can have it only by imputation and the action of the indwelling spirit of God. So holiness was a matter of spirit and soul rather than of the body and appearance. So um, probably all of us have met people who on the outside, they looked good. On the outside, um, maybe their outward appearance met all the requirements. But um, their lives and their attitudes weren't very good. Right? Have you met people like that? So it can be easier to be right on the outside, but, you know, there's those who maybe are right on the outside, but far from God. And we see that in Matthew 23, where it says in verse 25 through 27, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and platter. I like to have the outside of the cup clean, you know, because that's where I put my hand and grab it to drink, you know. Uh, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. So people say, gee, God looks on the heart, right? Man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. They'll use that as justification for not having to have any outward standard. But I don't think that's a good argument because God does recognize the outside as well as the inside. The, the issue is they clean the outside of the cup, but on the inside... That was the issue. He even called, he said, beautiful on the outside. So um, Luke eleven thirty nine says, And the Lord said unto him, Now do ye Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. So we need to work on the inside. And that, just like that song, we've said it before, where it says, Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. So it's, it doesn't mean, oh, okay, this, it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. Um, I, who says it doesn't matter? God sees the heart, but man is looking on the outside as well. And so, um, but God's looking on the heart. That's what that verse is, Yes. Um, ravening, it's, um, um, I don't know the actual definition. I have an idea of what it is, but I can't think of the English definition. 
which verse is this in? Luke 11:39. Your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. Somebody want to look that up? The Strong's? What is it? Sister Carrie? Ravenous? Yeah, Sister Carrie. <laughs> Luke 11:39. Someone want to look that up? Pillage. Plundering praise. Yeah. Yeah, strongs and fairs. That's right. And it comes from Greek G726, uh, which means to seize as a wild beast, to take away by force, snatch away, to seize on with avidity, eagerly, appropriate, to convey away suddenly, transport hastily. So, ravenous. And so, um, holiness is the goal and destination of every Christian. It's, be, it's to be demonstrated as it develops within us. Um, holiness should be the standard by which we measure our maturity and quality. The word standard is seldom used in reference to something other than the rule for outward appearance and activity. So, in this case, the, it's better to use, when we're talking about these issues, standards of righteousness. Righteousness is the living out of the holiness the Lord is building within us. That's righteousness. So until we are transformed, until we're changed, until we're conformed to the image of the Son. So until we come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ or become partakers of the divine nature, enough to be like him, um, <clears throat> then uh, we should call these rules standards of righteousness. We're trying to get to that measure, to be like him. There's a lot of scriptures right here um, that uh, this makes reference to. I can just quickly read them out. Uh, Romans 8.29. We can maybe, read, we might have time to read some of these. Romans 8.29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Romans 12, 2, where it says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 51, and 52. It says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. 
So we're not there yet, right? So there's this process of being conformed into the image of his son. None of us have gotten there yet. Um, and then we have 2 Corinthians 3.18. Oh, th- we have t- enough time to go through these. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. You know. Second Peter 1.4, this transformation being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And 1 John chapter 1, verse 2. Oh, man, we're going to make it. We're going to make it through these here. For the life was... Let's read verse 1 first, because this is a really good verse. That which was from the beginning... We've talked about that before, right? From the beginning. Um, <clears throat> you can't be from someplace that doesn't exist. Right? So the beginning existed. Or <laughs> he's from the beginning. The word is from the beginning. The word is what started the beginning. But... Uh, this is part of lesson one where we see that we don't, there's no evidence that the word was before the beginning. And then, right? So which beginning are we talking about? There's two beginnings that we talk about in the, that first lesson. There's that beginning of John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That beginning took place before the Genesis 1, 1 beginning. Right? And so that which was from the beginning, right? God's self definition, right? Which we have heard. John is saying, we have heard because they spent time with Jesus. They walked with Jesus Christ. The logos, the, the, the manifestation of God on this earth, they walked with him. They seen him. We have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Verse 2. Now you can go to verse 2. That's a good verse. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. So that process of showing unto you that eternal life. In Ephesians 4.13, anybody remember that one? Bible quizzers, don't bring it up yet. Who's memorized it yet? Ruth has memorized it? Is she the only one? Joel's memorized it? Jonathan, did you memorize it yet? Caleb, did you memorize it? You didn't? Okay, Caleb, can you quote it for us? Ruth, (laughs) quote it. These guys are quizzing this weekend on Galatians, Ephesians. Go ahead. 413. Unto the measure 
of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith. Guess, guess what? We're not all there yet. So um, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. For how long? Well, till we all come in the unity of the faith. So we've all got ministry. Everyone here is, is supposed to be involved in ministry. Raise your hand if you don't feel a call to ministry. Okay, good. So everyone here is called to ministry. That's right. You're supposed to be in ministry. That's you, bubs. You're supposed to be in ministry. Daniel, is he awake? Daniel, you're supposed to be in ministry. <laughs> and what does it mean to minister? To serve. And Chuck Swindoll wrote a book called Improving Your Serve. If you want to know how to be in ministry and just and, and improve your serve. Okay, that's a whole other topic. Right? But we're going to be talking about that more and more uh, because everyone here is supposed to be involved in ministry. We all are. Um, in Ephesians 1.23. Ephesians 1.23. Which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The church is his body, the body of Christ. The fullness of him that filleth all in all. So, standards of righteousness... One thing that we should talk about is hair. Hair. We've talked about this. We, we just heard about this recently. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul writes, Be ye followers, followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. And he says this in verse 2. Now, without any, okay, I know some of you know, but there are two ordinances listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Without looking, who knows what the two ordinances are? There's two ordinances. Anyone know? Bible quizzers? Okay, so hair is the first one, and then, we're, then the next part of the chapter deals with communion. So these are two ordinances. A lot of churches really believe in teaching communion, don't they? Some of them will do it every single week. Some of them say, hey, why don't you do communion more often? You're supposed to be doing communion. There are two ordinances in this chapter. There's hair and there's communion. So, but in this first ordinance... The Apostle Paul says, now I praise you. You see it in verse 2. Brethren, that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. 
For a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither would the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judge in yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if the woman have long hair, it is a glory for her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. So the first one, he said, I praise you, right? In verse 2. Um, now in verse 17, the second part of the chapter, he said, now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not. So the first one, he was commending the church at Corinth. The second ordinance in this chapter, he says, I praise you not. That you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What? So drunken doesn't mean just like, you know, with alcohol. Right, because you can overeat, and that could be in reference to this as well. So, um, what have you not houses to eat and drink in, or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not, for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you that. The Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye, ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance, remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, it doesn't tell us how often to do it. It just says, for as often as you do it. it. Some people say, well, we do it, our church does it every week. We do Lord's table every week. This doesn't tell you how often to do it, but it does say, as oft as you do it, right? For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. So there, this requires some examination. And let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. So two ordinances in this chapter. So this, the beginning paragraph, 
uh, deals with the Apostle Paul approving them. He said, now I praise you, brethren, in that verse 2. And um, the word that, uh, the word keep, right? Um, I think it's, is it in verse 2? That you, yeah, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them unto you. Um, Oh, there was a definition. I thought there was a definition right here, but I don't see the definition. I don't see it. I'm sorry. I thought I had seen it. I'm just just skimming through, and I just I don't see it right now. I probably skipped right over it with my eyes. But to keep the ordinances, um, and what's the results of not keeping the ordinances? This is something that's, not good. We should keep the ordinances. And uh, Brother Readout, when he was here, he spoke briefly on that. I think he mentioned that Brother Nathaniel Urshan, when he was a superintendent, uh, called him one day. Did, did he mention that in one of the Bible study sessions? And he mentioned how that he just felt like in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, there was something in this chapter with ordinances. There was something that he felt like it, it deserved an in-depth study, and uh, he really didn't have the time to do it, the in-depth study, and so he asked Brother Readout to do this in-depth study, which Brother Readout did. And he found that in doing this study, an ordinance is something that you do not want to violate. It's something, even though it may be delivered by a man, right, ordinances, um, it's something that you don't want to violate. So I don't know. Did he talk about that, Brother McAtee, a little bit? I thought I remember him saying it, but I don't know. You know, I've heard him say it before. So I can't remember if he said it here or not. So um, uh, in that study of ordinances. So um, in order to understand, do we have time? We've got a few minutes to establish a good perspective of the setting of this chapter, it's good to go back into the previous chapter, right? And you can start at 1 Corinthians 10, at verse 23 through 33, where it says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. That doesn't sound like a narcissistic person. <laughs> Whatsoever is sold in the shambles that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bids you to a feast and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you eat, asking no question for conscience sake. But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that for which I give thanks? Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense neither to the Jews nor 
to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Be ye followers of me, 11 verse 1 says, even as I also am of Christ. So Paul is uh, telling the Corinthians to follow his own practice concerning standards. So especially in those things in question, eating of meat offered unto idols. So <clears throat> follow me, remember me, keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. So the subject matter of this chapter is the proper conduct of Christianity. And that is commonly referred to as standards of righteousness. So some people use the phrase, and this is how I was raised, using standards of holiness. And the first time I ever heard standards of righteousness was with Brother Readout. Um, so 1 Corinthians 11 verse 2 contains four things of particular importance to this study. And the four things are going to be talked to you. We're going to talk to you about them in two weeks from tonight. Just remember four things. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 2. And there's the definition of keep right there. It's kept. It's right here. It's the second thing. I knew it was here. I was like looking for it on the other page. But it's right here. All right. Praise God. If you guys have any questions, um, ask Jonathan, Joel, Caleb, Judah, Bubs, and Ruth. They're Bible quizzers. They need to hear lots of questions. <laughs> Sister Katrina. I was trying to be louder. I don't know if you noticed that. I was trying to speak up. Oh. I didn't, I didn't hear it. I wasn't listening. 
we'll put all those in one big bag. Anything else? Need a new home. Sister Crispy. Sister, wife. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yes, let's bring all these needs before the Lord, amen. Lord Jesus, we bring each and every need before you tonight, Lord. All these situations, God, with Chauncey and with Victor and with these individuals uh, that need your uh, touch, Lord, need your hand, need your direction, need your, um, we just all need you, Lord. We're so desperate for you, God. We're asking you, God, uh, to touch um, the, uh, uh, our trip that's coming up this weekend. I pray that everything would go according to your plan, according to your will, God. We bring each and every need before you today, God. We thank you so much, God, for who you are. We thank you for being uh, such a great God. And uh, I just pray that you would have your way in each and every situation. We'll give you all the thanks. We'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. So Brother McAtee is going to be preaching on Sunday. Or is he going to be preaching brother, or treaching, or teaching? It's a surprise. <laughs> and um, let's see. Um, and Sunday, right after church, this is going to, this whole thing has to be cleared off for Monday when um, brother Andy Bracken and his co-worker will be here. And I don't know what time will they be here. Hopefully someone could be here to unlock the building for them and I don't know if they need heat or not, but <laughs> we're pretty low on propane right now. So um, I'm excited about all that happening, and um, things are coming along slowly but slowly, but they are coming along <laughs> slowly but slowly. So praise God. Good to see everyone tonight. And um, do we, uh, Brother Jonathan, do you have a testimony? Do you have a praise God? Uh, Caleb, praise God. Hey, where's uh, uh, where's Smiley? Okay, I'm gonna text her. Everyone, text Smiley. How come you weren't here tonight? Okay, let me give you guys her number in case you don't have Smiley's number. Everybody on the internet too. Text Smiley. Um, it's five five nine. <laughs> Are you guys writing this down? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I'll just uh, I'll just send a text right now. I don't see B and Bud. I don't see um, uh, Danielle and Vivek. I talked to Vivek just before service. He called me. 
Um, there's a lot of people missing, you know. Don't see uh, Bloss. We know he's on the way to Visalia. He let me know. So, um, anyways, uh, good to see everybody tonight. And we'll see you guys in January 22nd. That's our goal. That's our goal to be back. And we'll probably be all fired up with like a million new ideas. <laughs> you always go to these conferences and get all these ideas, right? We should do this, 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 this. And you guys are going to be like, what? <laughs> Isn't that how it is? Every, every time somebody gets back from a conference or something. Oh, you guys should have been there. You don't know what you missed, but we're ready for a revival now. So, <laughs> Amen. We'll come back, back all, all ready. Um, okay. All right. Kylie texted me back. <laughs> all right. You guys are dismissed in Jesus' name.